Well, it is good to have you here with us today, whether you're with us on campus or online. Uh, We're in the middle of a series uh, called Who is God? And we've been discovering that in our lives there are There are different God narratives, God stories that that people have learned over the years. And and what we've been figuring out over the last uh, couple of months, actually, is that some of those narratives and some of those stories really aren't the ones that Jesus told us. In fact, some of them aren't even good. They're actually bad God narratives. And in contrast to those, we've, we've started looking at what did Jesus actually say and do that would allow, allow us in the 21st century to, to kind of understand a little more who the God of the Bible is, because that's who we're talking about, the God of the Bible, uh, the one who created the entire world, the one who created you, who breathed life into you. And, and what we've discovered is that Jesus taught us about his heavenly Father. Now, the, the reason we're, we're looking at Jesus for the, for the instruction is because Jesus is the Son of God. And we figure that if anybody knows the Father, it would be one of his children. In fact, if anyone would know, would know the Father best, it would be the one who was his only begotten Son. So we've been looking into the things that Jesus taught and the things that Jesus did to discover the, the good God narratives. And we've discovered that God is loving, God is generous, God can be trusted, he's trustworthy. We, we've discovered last week that, that God is, is self-sacrificing, that, that he actually, out of that love and out of that generosity and, and, and out of his holiness, he, he, actually, he actually sacrifices for us. He comes to us so that we don't have to go to him and as a result, we don't have to have a checklist to check off or some kind of set of rules to, to understand exactly who God is. And instead, he has come and he has spoken to us through his son, through his one and only son. And Jesus, by the way he lived and the way he demonstrated his, his love for us and the love that God has for us, he, he does some, some things in our life. And so today... We want to look at, at something that is the result of the way Jesus lived. It's the result of meeting Jesus. Throughout the, throughout the New Testament, throughout all the Gospels and all of Paul's letters and Peter's letters and, and John's letters and all of the New Testament, you discover that, that Jesus, Jesus impacts people. When people meet Jesus... Something changes in them. They, they, are, they are transformed by encountering Jesus. Um, and, and as a result, that transformation changes who they are. It changes the way that they look at the world. I mean, think about it. Matthew, was a, his, his name was Levi. He was a tax collector. Jesus walked by his, his tax collecting booth in the city one day and looked at him and said, hey, come follow me. And Matthew's life was changed forever, so much so that he actually wrote one of the Gospels. Or, or think about, think about the, the, the woman at the well, the woman that Jesus encountered, the Samaritan woman at the well. And, and, and this, this woman enters into a dialogue with Jesus that Jesus prompted. And then from that dialogue, 
she went back into her village, a village where everybody knew all about her life. And, and she said, hey, come see a man who's told me everything about me. Throughout the pages of Scripture, we, we find that, that there's this narrative that, that whenever somebody encounters Jesus, their life is not just impacted, it is actually transformed. And as a result, it lets us know a God narrative that is, to be quite honest with you, uh, countercultural to the God narrative that's been preached and taught in Christian churches for a long time. Now, the, the, the preaching and the teaching wasn't untrue. It's, it's that the preaching and the teaching was, was something that, that people listened to with tainted ears, if you would. See, what, what, I, what I think has happened is that we've had an identity theft. You know what happens when somebody steals your identity, right? I mean, they get the crucial stuff and they, and they begin to, to use your identity to profit them. And here's the identity theft I think that we've had. I mean, maybe you've heard this. Maybe you've said this. It's, it's like this. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, no, listen to me. That's a false God narrative. You are a sinner before you encounter the saving grace of Jesus. But once you encounter the saving grace of Jesus, he transforms you. You, you no longer have to live in, in bondage and subjection to that sin. Your identity is in Christ. So it's no longer this sense that, well, you know, I just, I just couldn't help it. Because after all, I'm, I'm just a sinner. I, I was walking across the Anderson University campus a, a couple of weeks ago with, uh, with a couple of students. And, and there was a young man who was having a, uh, it was a, a fun dialogue. You know, he was just kind of, he was just kind of going back and forth, kind of teasing with uh, a young lady. And in the process, the young man, he doesn't mean any harm by it. It was totally innocent, but he said something that, that quite honestly contained a rather crude word. And when he said that, the young lady said, hey, the preacher's over there. You shouldn't say that in front of the preacher. And to which the young man just very instantly said, well, that's okay. Jesus forgives. It's like, Jesus forgives? I couldn't resist. I looked at him and said, Jesus forgives, but the pastor won't. I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> you see, I, I think in this intention that we've had to be gracious to people, in this, in this intention we've had to try to, to help people understand that the ground at the foot of the cross is indeed level and that all are welcome there. We've missed the transforming power of Jesus. And, and that transforming power doesn't just impact us for a moment, it impacts us for eternity. So that our identity is no longer wrapped up in the things that, that used to control us, the things that still tempt us, the things that are there. I'm not saying those things go away. What I'm saying to you is that in the process of becoming a a believer in Jesus Christ, in the process of fully identifying with who you are as a child of God, there's a process in which you become free from, free from the, the sense that you have to fail, that you have to live in a certain way, and you just can't help it, but instead you embrace this new reality that Jesus Christ lives in you. And that Jesus Christ is at work in you through his Holy Spirit to begin to, to change you, to, to make you into who you really were created to be.
there's no greater story of transformation from a human being in the New Testament than the transformation of the Apostle Paul. You know the story, some of you. If you don't, let me tell you real quickly. His name was Saul. He was raised in a Jewish home by faithful Jewish people. He was given over to the synagogue. He was bright. He was one of the ones chosen to to be in the training of the synagogue. And he ascended very quickly because not only was he bright, but he was driven. He was driven to please God. And and so he ascended throughout the the, the Jewish religious system to to become a Pharisee, a Pharisee among Pharisees, to be real honest with you. He was was the guy who always broke the curve in the class. He was the guy who always got the A. He was, he was the one who always finished on top. And he was on a mission to be the best person for God he could be, except for one thing. He would put his ladder up against the wrong building. Because his ideas about who God were, was and what God wanted to do were, were, were not the same ideas God had for him. And so one day on his way to persecute followers of Jesus... Because there's no way that that the Messiah could come from a carpenter's home in Nazareth. There's no way that that the Messiah could have been this Jesus character that he had watched teach and he had heard things about and he had watched them crucify him. And and no way that, that that Jesus could actually be the Messiah. It just didn't fit his way of living when that Jesus crucified, buried, and resurrected showed up on a road to a city called Damascus where Saul had, had, the, had the opportunity. He had the, the orders from the authorities. He, he had the mission of his life. He was going to go and he was going to get rid of this Jewish sect. He was going to get rid of, of these people who were, who were blaspheming God by saying that God's son could be crucified and then be resurrected until Jesus showed up. And Jesus Jesus confronted him right there. Maybe you've had an experience not quite like that, probably not a shining light that knocked you to your knees and a voice that came from heaven, but but that moment in your life when when suddenly you realize that you've put your life up your ladder against the wrong building and things aren't going the way you planned them to go. And now suddenly you're confronted with the reality, my paradigm, my worldview, my way of thinking isn't necessarily the way God created me to live. And so the Apostle Paul was the man who rose up and was led by the hand into the city of Damascus, blind and unable to see, until a a follower of Jesus, inspired by the Spirit of God, walked into the room and said, Saul, You've been called to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. And I'm here to take the scales off your eyes because our Heavenly Father told me to do that. This morning, my prayer for you is that in the next few minutes, whether you're with us on campus or online, in the next few minutes, the scales will fall off your eyes. In the next few minutes, you will begin to see who you were made to be. One of my favorite stories out of Christian history is the story of a, of a, a young priest in a parish in Europe in the Middle Ages. 
in a time frame when the church had, had pulled back into the monasteries, pulled back into the religious places, and, and priests weren't going out beyond their own buildings because it was such a horrible place outside, the, the, the rampant killing, the, the rioting, the, the horrible, deplorable situations in life. And, and this young priest felt compelled by the Spirit of God to, to walk out into, out into the the world outside his four walls of his monastery and to there engage people, people who were broken, people who were drunk, people who were weeping, people who were sick, people who were ill. The, the ravages of sickness were there. And, and this, this young priest would walk out and he would find these, these people, men, women, boys, girls, quite honestly, passed out in the in, in, in the gutters of the, of the street, languishing there in their sickness. And, and, and every time his heart would be so moved that what he would do is this, he would walk over to them, look at this person who was, who was living in such a deplorable way that, that they couldn't even function and hold them by the hand or, or cradle them in his lap if they were completely passed out. And to every one of them, he would say these words. They're words I want you to hear today. You're living beneath your dignity. You were born for more than this. My friends, if you hear nothing else I say today, please hear those words. If you're not living in a relationship with Jesus Christ, where his spirit is inside of you and he's showing you how to live day to day, moment by moment, then, then you're living beneath your dignity. You were created for more than this. You weren't created for this much pain. You weren't for created for this much heartache. You weren't created for this much self-centeredness, this much narcissism, this much my rights and mine alone. No, you were created by God with his image breathed inside of you. You're not created for the rebellion. You're created for the reformation, to be reformed, to be transformed in your life. The Apostle Paul, because of what he had experienced, spent the rest of his life trying to tell people what it means to be transformed by, by God through Jesus Christ. And in a letter he wrote, in fact, his second letter to a group of people in a place called Corinth, he, he's defending his own apostleship. He's been questioned by people about who he was and what he was about and, and why his life was different than the life started. And he writes some words, some amazing words. I, I want to read them for you. They're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and they start at verse 16. He's talking about himself and, and what's happened in his life. Listen, because it's a promise of what can happen in your life. From now on, because of what Jesus had done in his life, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Jesus Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. 
and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. That in him, we might become the righteousness of God. We might be transformed from living a life in bondage to to things that keep us broken and wounded to living life in connection with the creator of the universe. But how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, first of all, it requires that you allow the God of Jesus to transform your perspective, how you view things. For those of you on campus, when you came in today, as you were taking a seat, you noticed that you had a a little pen and a little piece of paper here. And uh, there should be at least two pieces of paper. They're sticky notes. Relax. They're supposed to be together. But I'm going to ask you to take one. If you're watching us online, I'm going to ask you to find a piece of paper and a pen wherever you are. A blank sheet would be fine, one with no lines in it. It doesn't really matter how large it is because together we're, we're going to understand a little bit about how, how God transforms our perspective. I mean, look again at the way that, uh, that Paul says it. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him in that way. We regard him thus no longer. Now, here's what I want you to do. Now that you who are online have gone and you've gotten a pen and a paper, for those of you on campus and online, I want you to do this. I want you to take the piece of paper, take the pen. I want you to make a dot. Just make a dot anywhere, anywhere on, on the piece of paper. Just a dot. All right. Now, I want you to turn to the person next to you, those of you on campus. If you're watching us at home with a family, turn to a family member. Um, but I just want you to turn. I want you to show them what you did. Just show them what you did. Okay? There you go. All right. Now ask them, what, did, what do you see? What do you see? What, come on, it's okay. You can talk in church. Tell each other. What do you see? What do you see? What do you see? What do you see? Come on. What do you see? I've already heard you. I see a dot. Right? That's right. I see a dot. No, you don't. You see a piece of paper. See, what happens is we get so focused on the dot because that's what I told you to write. And when somebody asks us, what do we see? Well, we see the dot because you heard me say that. Can I tell you, as Heather said earlier, the enemy of your soul is whispering things into your heart. He's whispering things into your mind. He's not omnipotent. He doesn't know your future. She's exactly correct. But what he does is he lets you focus on the dot rather than focus on the page, the piece of paper. He gets you to focus on the minuscule rather than focusing upon the broad perspective of how much you're loved by Jesus Christ of how much you're loved by God. What the Apostle Paul says is, look, I used to view people from the perspective of the dot. But now in Jesus Christ, I don't, I don't view people that way anymore. I don't view myself that way anymore. See, that, that's the huge piece. 
This God who calls you to live in a way the world can never help you live. This God who who invites you into a relationship with him. Now, this relationship is not all candy and roses. This relationship is not always, uh, uh, you know, it's not always puffy white clouds and cotton candy. (laughs) No, 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 no. This relationship is tough. Because you see, the God of Jesus transforms our identity. Our identity. Not, not, not just our perspective. He, he changes who we really are. That's, that's why that priest in the Middle Ages would pick people up and say, hey, you know what? I want you to know that you're living beneath your dignity. You were made for more than this. My friends, in the 21st century, we are living, we are living in a world that is settled for a lie. Settled for a, a religious experience that has no power, a religious experience that, that doesn't set us free from anything. It just gives us a bunch of rules to follow. I mean, look at the way Paul says it. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see, when Jesus died on that cross, when Jesus was buried in that tomb, when Jesus was resurrected on that third day so that he conquered your sin and my sin and the sins of the whole world, he conquered death itself because he promises eternal life for all who follow him, and he is the firstborn of all creation so that he is the one who's living into that that eternal life we're offered. And he is the one who lives today. He transforms our identity. That's hard for some of you because for years you've been told, you've been told you're one thing when Jesus tells you you're another. Uh, That's why some of you who've heard me talk before know that I keep saying to people, you're, you're not living into who you were made to be. You were made for more than the way you're living. There's a There's a story that James Bryan Smith tells in the book Good and Beautiful God that some of you are studying uh, about dogs. I'm sorry, Heather, it's about a dog, okay? But it's about two kinds of dogs, city dogs and country dogs. And he tells an interesting analogy. You see, country dogs are dogs that are allowed to just roam and go wherever they want to go. And so they play in the mud and they track it in the house and they, and they go out to different places through the fields and they roam the fields and they, and, they, and they just go wherever they want to go on the farm, right? But have you ever noticed what happens as a country dog gets older and older? The older they get, the more they settle in to the barn or they settle on the porch. They settle into their master's house. But city dogs... Now, city dogs are always told, don't do this, don't do that. You can't go there. They're cooped up. They, they, they can't even go to the restroom where they want to go to the restroom. Somebody has to follow behind them. Somebody has to clean up behind them. They've got these barriers. They're constantly given the barriers. And for city dogs, all they really want is to run. They just want to run. And in the life of the church, follow this analogy. Instead of saying to people, hey, let's let the Spirit of God transform us into who he wants us to be. 
We've tried to make city dogs out of country dogs, and we've made the rules and the regulations. And we've said, you've got to do this, and you've got to go here, and you've got to go there. And what happens is that no one ever settles at home. Everybody always feels, I'm missing something. I'm, I'm missing this. I'm missing that. And so we end up with people living beneath their dignity. We end up with people who never fully grasp what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he says that in Jesus Christ, I'm made into a new creation. The old has passed away and all things have become new. What I want you to do right now is on the piece of paper you have left for those of you on campus. For those of you online, just flip it over on the other side from that dot. I want you to think for just a minute about the stuff in your life, the stuff in your life that keeps you from really understanding who you are in Jesus. In fact, what I'd, what I'd like you to do is, if you'll think with, with me for a minute, there's generally something in your world that, that it, just, it just keeps you broken. It just keeps you in bondage. It doesn't really matter to me what it is. It might be pride. It might be bigotry, it might be hatred, it might be woundedness. Maybe you were abused as a child. Maybe as an adult you've been betrayed. I, I don't know what it is, and it doesn't really matter. It's keeping you from living into who you were created to be. Because you see, you were created to be a child of God. You, you were created to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You were born to be a part of his kingdom, a kingdom without end. Because you see, when you're, when the God of Jesus, when, when the God of Jesus transforms you, gives you a new perspective, when the God of Jesus transforms your identity, and, and you no longer live in the identity someone else has put upon you, but instead you live as who you were made to be, then he transforms your purpose in your life. And making all things new means you wake up every morning, even on the snowy cold ones, understanding that you're not a mistake. You're, you're not condemned to live by your failures. You're not defined by your sin. You're defined by your relationship with the God who made you and the entire world. So what I want to invite you to do, listen to the way Paul talks about it. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Your purpose is to be reconciled to God and to reconcile others. So that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, not, not making city dogs out of them, but, but instead entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. 
Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. So that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Have you thought of something to write on that piece of paper yet? One of the great songs written in Madison County was written by a a pastor here in town. Used to pastor Park Place Church one mile due west of us. His name was Dale Oldham. Dr. Oldham's books were extremely influential in my life as a young minister. Still are to this day. He passed away a few years ago, but the song he wrote has been, has been resonating in the hearts of people for over half a century now. And so this morning, here's what I want to ask you to do. We're going to sing that song. Most of you won't know it, but some of you will. And as we sing that song, here's what it's going to say. Its refrain is just really simple. I am a child of God. I'm a child of God. And this morning, what I'm going to invite you to do, from wherever you are here on campus, as we sing these words, I want to invite you to to just ask God this. God, would you take this, this thing that holds me back? If I give it to you, Would you just take it and release me from it? Because it's not who I really am. I really am your son. I really am your daughter. I'm your child. And I want to live the way you created me to live. Folks, we're we're not out yet of a pandemic. We've been in it so much longer than anybody thought. But can I tell you, God has never left us. He's never forsaken us, and he wants you to live as his child. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is to take that little sticky note you're on campus, and while we sing, we've got crosses on either side of the room. And I'm going to invite you just from wherever you are to slip out and just come and put the sticky note on the cross. And by the way, if the sticky's gone off the sticky note and it just falls to the ground, don't worry. I just think that's a symbol that your sin can't cling to the cross because it's forgiven. And so I'm going to ask you, would you stand with me? And for those of you online, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing we're doing, to write on that piece of paper whatever it is that robs you of your identity in Christ. And then I'm going to ask you, if you've got a shredder, shred it. If you got a match, burn it. Put it in a bucket first. Don't burn your house down. You got a fireplace going because it's a snowy November morning, throw it in the fire. But whatever you do, destroy it. Because that's exactly what Jesus did for you.